Hi, and welcome to the Doola UK podcast. My name is Leela Baker, and with me today I have Sophie. Sophie, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Sophie Messager. As you can hear from my accent, I'm not from the UK. I was born in France, and I came to live in the UK 26 years ago. And for the first 20 years of my career, I was a research scientist in the biology field. And then when I had my first child, I was um, nearly 15, I had a doula and I had a complete change of heart. And I did a retraining to become an intellectual educator, a baby wearing instructor and a doula. And this progressed through the years and I'm now a doula, doula mentor, healer and workshop facilitators. Wonderful, thank you. Um, so today we're going to be talking about postnatal recovery and why it matters. Can you tell us more about what postnatal means in this context? So in this context, we're really talking about the first sort of six to eight weeks, for four to six, eight weeks after the birth, you know, the really early mm -hmm. postpartum um, period and the, the, a period during which a new mother is very much in need of um, support and much in need of healing and much in need of rest and good food and that kind of thing and, and that's um, the really important thing around that is that traditionally they would have been and they, that was part of the culture in the UK as well there would have been a period of at least a month it's usually between two weeks and sort of six weeks depending on the tradition during which the yep. mother was being given a period of rest Thank you. Um, and what are some of the situations that might make recovery more of a challenge? So one of the things that comes into mind immediately is the lack of um, family locally, you know, the lack of support, the, the fact that many of us live away, you know, that sometimes not even in the same country as our family, that many of us have yep. not really got, especially when the first baby is born, much of a social network of mothers around us. So many women, there's a lack of social support. And as I, you know, we'll explain a bit more later, the social support is the, the foundation on which everything else that is important in the postpartum is built upon. And so when that social support's not there, the, the women are really doing it alone and they're supposed to meet their own needs and the needs of an intense baby, you know, the intense need of a newborn because human babies are some of the most um, dependent, <laughs> you know, and mammal yeah. babies that they are. And so this kind of combination of not having the support impacts on everything because that means that the woman doesn't have the support in terms of like her household and the rest and the food that she needs to have but also that means that she doesn't have the support of experienced mothers around her to help her find yeah. her feet and know what's normal and um, and beyond that what makes it even more challenging is that there is a very big pressure in our culture to go back to normal as quickly as possible which is almost a badge of mm -hmm. honor you know when the mother is in Tesco when the baby is three days old um, and all that that is really the essence of it and then you, of course you can add challenges like um, if you're a single mother or if you've had a cesarean or you know the baby needs to have a long stay in hospital or you need to have a long stay in hospital that kind of scenario they just build on it but really it applies to everyone across the board in my experience the lack of holding that our culture does for new mothers i think that's the biggest challenge yeah 
Um, can you give us a few of the benefits of well-supported recovery? Yes, so when you have the, so I've, I've sort of boiled, the, the postpartum support boils down to four main pillars, um, the social support, the rest, the food and body work. And so when you have that um, social support, you can get all the rest automatically coming from that. And so in mm. culture that is still have, for instance, a Chinese culture, my husband's from, was born in Hong Kong and the Chinese culture has a really big tradition around the postpartum. There is an understanding that if the woman, the woman is really supported during that period, um, she will benefit from better health than, than she had before she gave birth. It's almost like a, reset of the health system and so the challenge is yeah. if, if that's not if that support is not present not only women are you know very tired because they're waking up through the night to tend to the needs of the baby but they also there's a depletion that's not being replenished if that makes sense there's a there's no good nutrition there's no ability to like recover and rest you know an analogy at I take sometimes is even marathon runners understand that a couple of weeks of rest and recovery is absolutely essential when you've run a marathon and it seems really ludicrous that we don't have an understanding that when um, when a woman has grown and burst a, a whole new human that she she deserves to be treated like a queen you know she, she should be um, receiving all this support so there's a um, then on the side of that, when the support's not there, what I've noticed that really worries me is that women blame themselves. So they think, oh, I don't feel good, but that's my fault, rather than seeing it as there's something wrong in our yep. culture. So that's what I want to, you know, that's why I want to raise a lot more awareness of this topic, because um, women get a very raw deal, new mothers get a very raw deal, but they're not even aware of it. And then society is not aware of it. So you can see that very much in the way the presents are all towards the baby. So when, when people visit a new family, they don't bring something, usually they don't bring something for the mother. They bring stuff No, or the, the sibling might get a present, but the mother doesn't, yeah. That's right. And so that, yeah. that shows the focus is entirely on the baby. You know, people almost elbow the mother out of the way so they can get at the baby. They want to cuddle the baby. That's all it's about. And that's completely the wrong focus. The focus should be on the mother and, and asking her, nobody asks her how she is, you know, that that's all yeah. about the, the child. And mm -hmm. um, in your book, so you've written a book and it's called why postnatal recovery matters. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's published by Pinter and Martin. Um, and in that book, you talk about traditional postnatal practices or rituals in the postnatal period. And you compare modern Western culture um, yeah. to traditional methods, both here in you know, Western society and also all around the world. Yeah. Um, can you expand on that a little bit for me, please? Yes. So what's really, what really interested me is to start to see the common threads between culture rather than saying oh you should do it like they do it in India or you should do it like they do it in China or South America or Africa you know it's on every continent so I started seeing common threads and of course when you look at for instance something like traditional dishes that are served to new mothers is going to be very different in 
um, different continents. However, they always have something in common, which is uh, the food is like really nutrient rich and is really warm and nourishing and easily digested, that kind of stuff. Now, what's really interesting when you compare the traditional postpartum wisdom and the West is that people tend to dismiss it. So when you look at published papers, they say, oh yeah, science has dismissed that or there's no evidence of that. And actually science has not dismissed it because it's barely been studied, but also saying there's no evidence of that is very unscientific because no evidence of something is not a proof of its lack of effectiveness, if you see what I mean. So, Yes, I do. We, we I, I, to, I, I definitely resonated with mm, me in your in your book. We tend to think that it's an old fashioned exotic thing to have this tradition. But what fascinated me in the research I did for the book is beside reading published papers, um, is I found evidence that it used to be part of the UK culture and living memory. So mm -hmm. um, I interviewed Becky Reed, who's a midwife and is herself 70 years old. And when her mother gave birth to her in 1951, the council provided her with a lady to su support her household for a couple of weeks after the birth. So it's actually in living memory. And I found an, an old midwifery manual from the end of the 19th century that refers to bodywork binding practices that were part of UK culture. Like it describes how, how to do it in the book. And so people think, oh, it's not part of our culture. Well, it is. It's just we've forgotten about it. Then the other thing that's yeah. really interesting when you compare the two traditional practices is um, in the book, um, I refer to an acronym called WEIRD, which stands for Western um, Educated, uh, sorry, I can't remember what the I stands for now. Um, industrialized, uh, yeah. industrialized, yes, um, uh, can't remember what the R stands for now. Hold on. I, um... So, okay, Western educated, industrialized, rich and democratic. Thank you. <laughs> I can never remember the details of this acronym. So I was very grateful to um, a client of mine who's an anthropologist introduced me to that um, acronym. And what, what the paper that introduced this acronym about 10 years ago talks about is that 92% um, of publications around topics like this um, are basically published by and from you know western societies that model of societies but yet that only represents about 12 percent of the world's population so you have this huge bias um that you know the idea yeah, of what's not overdeveloped cultures totally and yeah. in the past even like 10 years ago when i became a doula i remember reading a lot around what normal baby care was and saying to people when um we want to know what's normal for our species, we shouldn't be asking doctors, we should be asking anthropologists. And this, this acronym yeah. really illustrates that. So it's very important to be aware of the Western bias about what's considered to be normal in brackets. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think that we are living a different lifestyle than we were built for, or designed for, or whatever your belief system is about how we were created? Um, do you think that we, we, we're not quite living the lifestyle we were, we're supposed to be living. And uh, that's yeah. why we're struggling with recovery or problems with birth. Um, I think so. I think we are wired for societal connection. You know, we're wired for community. And that when um, we don't have that, we suffer. And that what the mother experience is just an extreme version of what is actually not there. 
you know, that it's almost like what the mother's experience is a symptom of a dysfunctional society. Mm. Um, I always remember there's a fantastic book called Mind of a Medicine by uh, an American MD called Lisa Rankin, and she described this this traditional, like, um, this, there was this area in the States where people had such low level of heart disease that they studied them and they thought, oh, you know, they must have a really good diet. And now they were very working class. They had a really crap diet with lots of saturated fat <laughs> and whatnot. And so they studied them over and over again. And what they eventually found is this was like, um, you know, a, a community where people still lived in, in like multi-generational households. And they hang out with it. They hung out with each other. They all had blue collar, really not that healthy, stressful lifestyles, um, but they did have a big community life. And so, when the next generation of kids started leaving, leaving the community and going to live on their own, they found that they started to have the same level of non-communicable disease, you know, heart disease and all of that. Um, that is typically part of Western culture. They found mm -hmm. that, that the magic disappeared. It was nothing to do with their diet or their, the region that they lived. It was all about the community. And I think that- Being part of a village. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not saying, yeah. so what I found is really important as a message is I'm not saying, oh, we need to go back to the good old days because I don't think that's possible. And I don't think that's reasonable to, to try and go back to the past. What I think we need to create is new traditions for our world. Yeah. And there are, there are, you know, there are changes we can make in our, you know, model, modern, overdeveloped lifestyle yeah. to, to bring back some of the, the most important things, some most of the important factors from some of the traditional practices, aren't mm -hmm. there? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so what was it that inspired you to be passionate about this subject? It was a mix of things, really, but I would say the main, most important factor was hearing women's stories and hearing contrast, contrasting stories between basically witnessing the women who struggle in our culture and then hearing stories from women from culture that still have a traditional postpartum that's nurturing and it just the more I heard the stories the more angry it became <laughs> because I was like hearing stories of so to give a context two stories that really stuck to mind a positive postpartum experience was i have a friend called swati who's from india and she had twins she had premature twins at 32 weeks in india and she said her mom hired an old lady from the village who massaged her for a full body massage every day for a month and she said that she was in pain at the beginning. She could barely move. And, you know, she had to go to the NICU to see her twins and everything. And she said this made a world of difference. And I tell that story to mothers because if when people hear that, that that's so illustrate the contrast between what she got and what we get. And then the other story that stuck to mind is another friend of mine called Helen who's from Kenya. She told she gave birth to her first child in Kenya and she said you would not even wash yourself like people thought of her who would cook you dinner and she said it went on for four months in her case of care and then she moved to the UK she married a, a British man and when they had a second child I think the older child was three so he was going to preschool and she said that yep. she had no support no family nearby nobody she had basically had to take her child to preschool with a new baby when she was still in this fresh raw recovery period and she said she missed so much the contrast was so shocking that she cried every day because she remembered the care she had back home 
And then the story, I, he I started hearing more and more of the same story from being a postnatal doula in people's home, you know, of women saying things like, oh, I don't understand. I, I remember being with this client and then she had a three month old baby and a three year old toddler. And then she said to me, I don't understand why I'm so tired. I said, darling, you're tired because you have a three months old and three year old. And she said, oh, but everybody else seems to be coping better than I am. And I said to her, no, no. On the outside, maybe. That's it. I said, everybody else is lying. And that, that you know, that, yes. that created, I guess, the foundation for the book because this story happened so many times. I was also with another new mother's, in her home, she, she, the baby was like two weeks old. I'd send her for a nap. I had the baby in the sling. I'd done emptying the dishwasher and folding the laundry. And then I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make her some soup because it was in the morning. I thought it'd be nice to, for her to have something warm and nourishing for lunch. And I opened the fridge and there was literally nothing I could make anything out of. Mm -hmm. Nearly empty. But on the mantelpiece and the table and everywhere around the lounge, there was like, 15 bouquets of flour and I thought that's just like it really hit me where I thought that's so wrong because instead of the when she woke up I said those are pretty but you can't eat that you know yeah that, yep. okay women you know I myself was a great fool for all the baby gift and all the balloons and flowers and all the crap that people tend to send to new parents to celebrate the arrival of the baby it's like people are not even aware of what mothers actually need. And so the book came from that, trying to change that, trying to change that um, when, when people support a new family, um, when people come and visit, they understand to respect the needs of the mother, they understand to respect their need to rest. They don't just go and grab the baby and expect to be served cups of tea and given cake and leave her with a messy house and dirty cups and plates and a baby who's cranky because it's missed his or her nap, you know, that, and the mother yeah, was tired because she's missed her nap as well because often yeah. people come in the afternoon when, or at a time where the woman would be better off sleeping. And because of that lack of, you know, the, the lack of understanding of the need of a new family and, and the need to like hold them, you know, so that they need, the mother needs to be mothered. Um, I, I wanted to, to make that message, you know, in the, in the book, I talk a lot about if you're, if you're a friend or family of a new, new family, go and like, I suggest you go and do that instead of, you know, that, um, that I described the new visitor from hell, which come, as I mm -hmm. said, you know, expect to be entertained and leave everything in, in this area. And the new visitor from heaven who would come and bring a casserole and send the mother for a nap or a bath or only take the baby if she wants them to take the baby and then empty the dishwasher and take the bins out while sleep, you know, do, do things that are actually useful and don't overstay your welcome, you know, don't come in and impose yourself on somebody who basically is new and vulnerable and needs tender holding care. Yeah. When, um, when I, after I'd had my first two children, um, I was part of a church and as, as, um, as part of that church community, um, when somebody had a new baby, there'd be a rota for two weeks of people yeah. to deliver food and, you know, for the family, um, a, you know, a, a hot meal, yeah. um, for the family, which was really, really awesome. Yeah. And then I remember somebody I knew had a baby 
and um so it was my you know it's my turn to take take food to them and um the 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 mother was struggling with with latching the baby on the breast yeah um and you know because they had you know babies have such tiny mouths sometimes it's not always obvious how it gets done um and so I just gave her some tips and this was before I became a breastfeeding peer supporter mm. and I just gave her a couple of tips um and she still credits you know that visit to helping her to breastfeed and it wasn't just that it was me you know I'm not I'm not that special but anyone who's who had come and given some tips and suggestions and support can have that effect it can that tiny yeah. you know 20 minute visit that I was with her um can have a massive effect and she went on to feed another child after that successfully mm. um, and she says you know when I when I started becoming a peer supporter she she actually said you know um that she was really glad that I was doing that because that support is really needed and I had helped her. Um, which is kind of, that's ended, how I ended up starting as a doula is just from little things like that is yeah. seeing a need and filling a need. And some of that is about knowing what is needed. Um, and that's why things like your book can be really helpful because it's got, uh, it's got lots of information in there about what is needed for yeah. new parents. And I really love that story that you tell about the church and the meal train, because that's one thing that I encourage people to do in the book. And ideally, whilst I talk a lot about, you know, encouraging the mother to write a postnatal recovery plan, I think it's much easier for her if things are organized on her behalf and she doesn't have to yes. worry about organizing the meal train, you know. And it's such a beautiful example of community support. And, and the stories I've heard from people who have received such meals is they say, it's special because it's been cooked for them with love. Mm -hmm. You know, there's more than just food in there. You know, it's. Um, I have a. I had a friend. You know, I have a similar story to yours in a way that when before I was a doula, when I was pregnant with my son, so we're talking at 15 years ago, and I didn't even, you know, I wasn't a doula myself then. Uh, one of my the the couple I met in antenatal classes gave birth unexpectedly at 32 weeks pregnancy. And as I went to visit her in the in the ward where she was with her baby, I brought um, beef casserole. I brought beef bourguignon because, you know, I'm French. <laughs> and I'm still friends with this couple. And she told me last year when they visited, because they live in the States now, she said, I still remember you were the only one who brought me a casserole. Mm. You know, and... That's lovely and sad all at the same time. It is. And what I also remember when I visited her, she just pumped some milk and she spilled it. She had spilled it. So she was in tears. You oh. know, she was there with like leaky breast and in floods of tears of other spilled milk because you know how it's gold dust, isn't it? When you've got a tiny yep. baby. Yep. And I was like, she was so needed holding and, and nurturing and support and what do I love as well in the story that you tell is you said it's just a 20 minute visit but look at the impact it had you know that it doesn't yeah. take long it's not difficult to do because one of the other sort of side when you know the, the positive and the negative of postpartum support is that um, people often come with well-meaning advice and they put the advice in quotation marks and yeah. they come and rather than making the person they're visiting or the family they're visiting feel better, they make them doubt themselves. And so yeah. it, it's it's so important to, you know, only only nurturing and supportive and empowering stuff comes out 
to which when you do a visit and if you don't agree with the way they're parenting then zip it because yes. <laughs> that's my that's my <laughs> advice to families friends and people who are visiting new parents you know um ask them how they feel and what they want and how they, because simply the reflective the beauty of reflective listening is you know the kind of simple thing of saying and how does that make you feel so that the person can unpack their own thoughts and feeling and how what do you want to do with your baby because here's a question that i've been asked a number of times as a postmortem doula i've been about to leave a new mother's home you know i've done a three-hour visit or something and i have my coat on and my bag on my shoulder and on the doorstep the mother says oh and by the way my mother-in-law said i shouldn't be picking up the baby so much <laughs> And usually what happens is I put my bag down and put my coat back on the book. <laughs> and I said, and how does that feel to you? And what do you want to do? Does that feel like something right to you? Because most of the time it doesn't. It's just that it's so hard to listen to your own inner knowing when you're bombarded with well-meaning advice from people who think they know what's right for you. And that's the other thing, you know, the social support should come from a place of nurturing and guiding and not from a place of telling people what to do because how do you yeah, find, and even understand understanding that yeah sorry sorry um, all right go on i was just going to say the understanding that each baby is different even if even if they're more than one baby in the same family yeah. you still might parent them slightly differently because even as new babies they can behave differently they totally. have different you know levels of needs yeah, totally. The, the number of smug parents who have a... Uh, when I taught NCT classes, I used to call it the dumpling baby. Something I came across in a book, I can't remember what book, but the, the, in, uh, I'd say to expectant parents, in, in, when we come for the reunion, there's usually is one in you know, a group of eight couples. There usually is one couple who has what I call a dumpling baby. And the dumpling baby is, you know, the baby who's really easygoing and doesn't really mind what's happening and is kind of always gurgling and happy. <laughs> and those parents who have the dumpling baby, they feel smug as hell, right? They think, really, really good parents. And then the parents who don't have that, they think, what am I doing wrong? You know, and, yeah. and then, of, con of course, then the parents who have a dumpling baby are often then the next child <laughs> to be a really completely different kettle of fish and they don't understand what they're doing wrong this time, you know, I did what work with baby number one and it's a really interesting yeah. thing because people think I guess it's an extension we can make people think there's just a baby and people think there's just a mother you know that everybody like it this the idea that all babies are the same applies to people thinking that the needs of new families are all the same and that's why in the book I didn't go into much details about what culture does what, because, you know, if you're a vegetarian and I tell you you need to eat pig's trotters, which is a Chinese, <laughs> that's not exactly going to be helpful. <laughs> so being very prescriptive about any kind of practices is, is not helpful because people are so different. Yeah. So you kind of touched on it but I always ask is there anything family members friends and other supporters can do to help new yeah. parents um, in their postnatal recovery period yeah so I would say it would be really interesting to start it in the antenatal period even you know to I encourage um, women to organize uh, or ideally somebody organizes for them you know rather than a baby shower having a mother blessing type you know mm -hmm. the a mother centered equivalent to the baby shower where the presents are for the mother so that people can start shifting their 
and the understanding of what she needs. So she could write a list of, you know, I'd like this meal trained organizer, I'd like this, and people could tick the box and saying, I'll do this or I'll do that. So that's a sort of starting to shift. I think for everybody to start to shift their mindset towards the, the fact that the mother needs um, what she really needs after the birth is useful to start then. And then so the bearing in mind the four pillars, you know, of needing for social support, needing for um, rest and food and body work. So if you're visiting a new family, it's really important to try and bring that with you and remember that she needs to rest so that to not interrupt a nap. Um, I encourage yeah. your parents to write a note that says mother and baby sleeping, please don't ring the doorbell or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Word of unwelcome visitors. And just remembering that, you know, you're there to ask her how she is and, and that she's the center of the attention rather than the baby and, and to yeah. respect her needs and to be, um, you know, providing gifts that are nurturing for her. So, you know, the, the food is very obvious. Um, social support would be in the form of making sure that when you visit, you only providing um, things that, sh that are helpful to hear rather than giving <laughs> advice. Um, yeah. and, and also, um, you know, not many people are, uh, you know, it's, it'd be nice to just give her maybe a, a shoulder rub or a hand massage, but, you know, buying her presents like gift vouchers for massage and give voucher for home delivery. There are companies now that provide frozen deliveries of meal that are very yeah. like much like home cooked food, you know, like really um, stuff you can just like stick into the oven and heats up like shepherd's pie, yeah. that kind of stuff, lasagna, you know, that kind of, I have other yeah. clients who had that from certain companies that actually the food was good, you know, it was as good as a takeaway, mm -hmm. much cheaper. Yeah. So yeah. thinking about what can you do to offer, because the complexity of all that is the mother herself will not necessarily know that this is more helpful because she'll be expecting gift for the baby. So yeah. trying to gently change that and making sure you don't, you come at a time that's convenient for the new family that um, you only take the baby. And not staying too long. That's also. right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and asking what, uh, you know, asking what needs to be done. You know, if there's some laundry that needs to be done, if there's, if they need any, on the way there, can you bring, do they need anything from the shop? You know, um, do they need the, the dog booked? Do they need whatever? You know, the older kids entertain because that's the other thing when you've got more than one child. Um, women actually really need more somebody to entertain the older children than somebody to cuddle the baby you know i remember um when i after i had one of my i think it might have been my fourth child um a visitor was coming and i had to i messaged them and said um, on your way can you pick me up some hemorrhoid cream please <laughs> because you know that's what i needed yeah <laughs> and good for you to be able to yeah. ask for that because you know lots of, well I it was easier asking them than asking my husband <laughs> But I've brought all sorts of, I've been to the pharmacy to buy some, I remember a client said to me, can you buy me some gelonet, which is, you know, um, some kind of gauze that you can apply on cracked nipple. Okay. Like it's, it's moist wound healing type product. Yep. And I had to do three pharmacies because the other two didn't have it. And they'd run out, yep. you know, and I just was like, really, this is what she needed. So I did meet the, the need and I just thought I'm not going to stop until I've actually found a place that has it. 
Yeah, it's, it's wow. people tend to know what they need, right? You know, if you, if you don't need, the, the, uh, as a postpartum doula, I remember coming um, to echo the story you were telling, coming to a new, many times actually, to a new family's home and having planned to have them, you know, breastfeed. And when I arrived there, uh, it, the, the baby wasn't latching well and there was struggle, but I could see that there was no point because they were so, so utterly shattered that they couldn't sing straight. So the only thing they needed at that time is, and you know, I, I just saw how she was. And I said, how did you sleep last night? And then neither of them had had any sleep. And I said, you know what? Give me your baby and go for a nap. And whilst they were both napping, I went into the kitchen and I made lunch. And, mm -hmm. um, and they were so much better. You know, they had a couple of hours sleep. It is a world of difference. And sometimes you, you have to, you know, as we often say at postpartum, postnatal doulas, we come into a new parent's home and we said, when was the last time you slept? And when was the last time yes. you ate? Yeah. Or had a drink, yes. you know, that, um, because this all, especially for a shower, wash your hair. Yeah, exactly. What do you need the most? I remember a, a local doula had twins last year and she was posting on Facebook how, grateful she was because this doula came to look after her twins so she could go and get a haircut i mean this was quite a few weeks after the birth but she was you know what makes you feel good um what's going to make a difference between you feeling like you say you know if you haven't had a shower for five days and you're covered in sick and you know baby sick and you yeah. you just feel really grotty um, I mean, to, I remember when my first child was born and he was a very intense need baby. That's why I discovered slings because he wouldn't let me put him down and he screamed if I put him down, you know, those baby bouncer thing we had, you just couldn't use that at all. <laughs> and the, f the first, so I think my husband went back to work when I think my baby was three weeks old because I had my parents there for a couple of weeks, like maybe a week after he was born. And the day he went back to work, you know, my son, because I couldn't put him down, I just, I didn't have the flexibility of mindset to understand that I didn't necessarily need to sit down and eat. But I remember trying to reheat the same beef casserole so many times because every time he would go down, it would cool down because I was, he would cry every time I put him down. And, it, you know, when you mm -hmm. reheat something in a microwave three times and it becomes so nuked, it's unedible. <laughs> and my husband came back from work that evening and I just burst into tears because I've not been able to sit down or rest or do anything remotely, you know, nice for myself that day. Like do anything that I needed to do, which was sit down and eat and sit, be able to rest for a bit. And so when my husband came home, he saw what state I was in and he sent me to have a bath with a glass of wine. And mm. then I was just 20 minutes, but that was... Um, that made a world of difference, you know, the, I just need to make a side comment to say there's, there's evidence that, you know, it's okay to have the odd, the odd glass of wine if you're breastfeeding because very little yes, there is. makes it into your breastfeeding. <laughs> so just in case people go, oh my God, this woman is advocating <laughs> uh, drinking whilst breastfeeding. Um, but I remember that I was falling apart and I've seen that so many times in mothers, you know, the, you arrive and there's such a sense of, um, like stress and and people like are not regulating their nervous system because now we know that you know have you heard of the there's this thing called the, the polyvagal theory of the nervous system you know the yep. nervous system that controls yep. your stress levels and actually we now know from that theory that we used to think they were just two nervous system but the third one which is the social one is basically you can't self-regulate unless you've got social support just you know so yeah so the idea and we don't need wow. to we don't need to be martyrs do we 
No. You know, there's a lot of, you know, well, everyone else has done it on their own. I, why can't I do it on my own? I'm just going to power on regardless of my own needs. That's, that's actually you know, not helpful for you or the baby. Definitely not. And the, the, the very true thing, which I talk as well in the book about, which is it's very hard in a society that prizes independence so highly to accept, to, to ask for help and accept help because it can make you feel like you're weak because that's what our society has to shit complete independence like basically being being able to do everything on your own as a sign of strength and there's so much bullshit in that but it's so hard to shift from being you know especially when it's your first child and you're used to being somebody who's really independent and care basically has a a job and carry makes decision for themselves all day and maybe sometimes for other people all day and and then suddenly you are at the mercy of a tiny helpless infant that has very very high needs and and to try and accept the vulnerable side of saying i need help it's like it's yeah. like the, the shift in the mindset is not even there because all you can f- usually is feel like shit and i remember feeling like shit with my, I felt, yep. I felt so lonely because all my social network was nine to five still working and I was just on my own all day with this baby, which is not normal for our species. And I felt so guilty because I thought I ought to feel fulfilled, you know, from mm-hmm. motherhood alone. And I said, what's wrong with me? And now I look back and I'm like, and I've heard so many mothers say the same thing. You know, mother said, I'm not doing anything. And yep. they usually reframe it and say, you're solely surviving the <laughs> survival yeah. of a tiny helpless infant. <laughs> you and your oh. baby are still alive. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you did today. Yeah. Yeah. But that... Oh, when, I, when I had my first child, I was living in Luton, so away from all of our friends and family. Um, and I was living in a, an area that was um, predominantly South Asian. Um, and there were rivalries there between... Um, Indian people and Pakistani people mm-hmm. um, and I was in a mixed relationship um, with a with a white person um, mm-hmm. and people I was not very well accepted in that community um, yeah. and um, I would go to the health visitors three times a week to have my baby weighed and measured and she you know I remember the woman saying you know you don't have to come this often I said I need to talk to somebody I've got no one to yeah. talk to all day long yeah. you know I didn't drive or anything like that so I, 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 that's all, this is all I can do. Just come here three times a week. This is what yeah. I live for. And, it, and it's, you know, it's such a powerful story because it illustrates that when people don't feel social support, they seek it out by exactly that kind of behavior, which is the, you know, some women go to the doctor all the time, but that's the same. They just want, then they're trying to regulate the system by having human contact. And the need for that is so intense and is so not recognized in our culture that um, new mothers desperately need um, human contact. And they, they, I remember for me, it was reading the continuum concept and in, in the book, you know, where she says it's not normal for a, a mother to be alone with a baby because in every culture around the world, there would be just this whole community around Mm-hmm. including experienced mothers because that's the other thing most of us many many of us by the time we have our first have our first baby we've never actually changed a nappy we know nothing about baby care and it's no wonder beside the fact that we're finding it hard to make sense of the experience because again that's not talked about that it's no wonder that we are completely at sea or is it because it's not 
you know, I remember reading, it's not meant to be like that. I remember reading a really interesting no. article about breastfeeding in traditional society where they said they have the same problem as Western women, you know, mastitis, low milk supply, sore nipples, you name it. But the difference in those cultures is they are surrounded by experienced mothers who know how to yep, solve I, the problem. I went to um, a bank um, a few years ago when my, do- my youngest child, my daughter, was um, a baby. And it was, a, we were, I was transferring some accounts or changing some accounts. And so it was quite a lengthy appointment. Um, and it, it was in Metro Bank. Um, and so it's quite a relaxed atmosphere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really, I could see that she needed feeding. And I was, I was thinking, I'm sitting here across the te- desk with this guy. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how to do this really. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I don't generally have issues with feeding in public, you know, myself feeding in public. Mm. But this was like face to face, literally face to face. And um, so I said, I, I really need to feed her now. Um, we can carry on and I can feed her or I can come back. Um, yeah. And he said, oh, no, no, go ahead. You know, it's funny because he wasn't English felt born. Yeah. Um, and he said in, in the country where he comes from, um, he was everywhere. You know, you walk into a room and there's like 10 women sitting in a room and at least one of them is feeding a baby yeah Um, and he thinks it's so weird here in this country where you don't see people breastfeeding almost anywhere and when you do it's Mm. really kind of it catches your eye because it appears to be out of the ordinary even though it's the most natural you know experience yeah um yeah yeah it's, it's something i thought you know um it's something I thought a lot about, you know, the, 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 since I've written the book, I've thought a lot about how do, you know, what, what, what experience have we had of being exposed to new mothers? Because just like you don't see breastfeeding mothers in, in everyday life, you don't see what new mothers actually look like. So I, there are now thankfully some like Instagram thing called Ernest Motherhood or, um, Mm-hmm. the earnest body project you know like it, we need more of what the normal messy uh, yeah. not together one of my friends who just gave birth last week keeps posting pictures of how messy it all looks you know um, on instagram like of herself saying it's just such a mess of tears and blood and sweat and whatnot you know and we don't get exposed to it's all uh, seems to be happening behind the closed door so then that contributes to this whole thing about people thinking nobody else is struggling because we live in such a, you know, Instagram culture. I remember this friend yeah. of mine said she, she had a really bad day with a, a toddler and she thought, I need to get out of the house because otherwise I'm going to get this child. And so she <laughs> took the toddler to the playground and took a picture of the toddler on the swing and then posted that on Facebook and said, and all that, what people saw was that happy moment with my child when really that's the day where I wanted to murder him. You know, that, yeah. that, that, that we don't tell people uh, of the and of the struggles the fact that it's all both beautiful and stressful and challenging and messy and gorgeous all at the same time we have this kind of idea that you know um, and don't get me started on the sort of old lady coming to a new mother and saying is he a good baby (laughs) (laughs) the idea of the good baby makes no demand on you because again that's a myth normal normal expectation of parenthood are just not there um yeah because it like you say for the the same as the breastfeeding we don't get to see 
newborn parents it's all happening behind the closed door so we yeah. we don't know what's normal and people and then we so, think we're alone yeah and people feel so, so there's so much shame associated with mm. um struggling you know people think everybody else must be doing better than i am and therefore it perpetrates itself almost like a vicious cycle of thinking oh yeah everybody else must be okay i mean i also heard stories of women who had really severe postnatal depression but again, so much shame around that. And so put on really like, made, they did their hair and put on makeup for the six week visit to the GP and the GP said, oh, you look really well. When inside yeah. they're broken, you know, because it, again, that it's so weak. It is so hard for people to see beyond the, you know, the image that what actually a struggling mother may look like because she doesn't necessarily look like what you think. She might look like we're put together. And she might be the most put together. That's right. Yeah. So as doulas, what can we do to learn more about this topic so that we can provide better support to families? So um, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Uh, you, know, you do that. That's you, fine. Can write my, you can read my book. Um, the reason so the wide matters series what's beautiful about that series is because they're very short books so this book is only 160 pages long you can read it in a day or a couple of days you can dip in and out and what i've tried to do because of course uh, such a short book is not going in depth into the topics such a short book is this kind of book is like a buffet of options i've written an extensive amount of references and linked to other books um about um what you know to if you want to explore each topic further you know the what for instance so going back to the four pillars you know the social support is a given with a postpartum doula coming to a a new mother's home in fact in the book i've got a whole chapter called hiring help which should have really been called how to hire why you should hire a doula because whilst <laughs> i mentioned briefly um, nannies and um, maternity nurses and people like that and cleaners and whatnot it's really a chapter about why the doula is there in a culture that doesn't have close social support the doula is the next big thing because she's going to not just provide the social support and whatever else you need can do keep your house tidy and cook your food and i mean not all doulas do that because each doula plays to her strengths so it's worse if you want a particular yeah. thing to ask your doulas do you provide your this service but it's it's about um the doula will provide all of that role into one and not provide judgmental advice either so it's it's the difference yeah. it can make to a new mother to have someone who's inside that was only got her needs at heart, you know, only got at heart to make her feel confident and safe, you know, the, that, that, because we always try to work ourselves out of a job. So making sure that we do, <laughs> you know, in the, we do it all in a way that the mother feels she no longer needs us at the end of it. I mean, in the first few weeks, I'd say the first four to six weeks, I would I'd really think the mother should be treated like a queen and rest and not do much so that, you know, we all know that as doulas, that's, um, we need to encourage yeah. that. But I think, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, it needs to start before the birth. And it needs to start, they really want to encourage doulas to, to encourage their clients to write postnatal recovery plans because that's why I wrote the book, you know, the, the, it's like the poor little sister of the birth world. You know, people will pay for pregnancy massage and people will pay for antenatal classes. But once the baby's out of the mother's body, the mother often feels selfish to, 
invest in herself, so to speak. So yep. there will be very little focus on that. And actually, most people are not encouraged to plan for that. And when I was writing the book, I had a moment, I think I was in a shower where I thought, oh my God, when I was an NCT teacher, I didn't talk about that. So I, I talked about relationship changes and how to manage them. And I talked about the changes, immediate changes in the body, like, you know, the, the bleeding, the breasts, and, you know, the, all of these changes in the body immediately after the birth. But I didn't talk about writing a postnatal recovery plan. And I taught NCT classes for six yep. years. You know, it suddenly hit me where I thought, wow, that was my expertise and I didn't even think about it. So really encouraging a shift of mindset. Doulas especially are in a unique position because they, even if they are only doing postpartum support rather than birth support, they're usually going to meet the client before they give birth. And so starting to gently yep. bring that um, you know, I'm writing an online course to go with the book and part of that I'm going to make downloadable and I want to make some of that available for free on my website as part of the resources around the book, downloadable templates for writing a postpartum recovery plan. Because it's so not something that's out there. When I Googled it, there's almost nothing. So people don't know about it and they don't know where to start. So I encourage people to think um, around the four pillars of postpartum recovery as a basis. And depending on and as well as we already know that everybody's needs are different so depending on um how the person is you know some people might like to write a bullet point and some people might like to um more like maybe write a mind map or, or draw it or make a collage you know like everybody's going to have different needs so it, depending on the type of person you are but starting to simply write all four pillars, you know, the, the, the body work, the social support, the food and the rest, and start to just to jotting down lots of ideas around those, you know, who can provide me with some food, who can provide me with some rest, where can I get some body work, who's going to support me socially. And, and I encourage doulas to do it for themselves, thinking back about, you know, like to think back about their days because i did revisit that for myself you know thinking back about when i was pregnant with my first child and how little i knew about it you know how i hadn't even given it some thought i how i was going to look after myself who was going to look after me during the postpartum recovery as as it happened i was lucky that my parents came from france for a couple of weeks and because they were desperate to see their grandchild we we'd originally said can you come after my husband's Post, you know, paternity leave, and my mum was so desperate yep. to see the baby that she said, "Oh, can, can you please come sooner?" But we'll do everything. Like <laughs> it wasn't even. It's really cool because she. I guess she did that because she desperately wanted to see her grandchild. But she, she said, "We'll do everything. Yep. We will do the cooking, the cleaning, the shopping. You won't have to lift a finger." And you know what? It was f fantastic. I mean, I'm. I'm lucky that I like my parents. We get on fine. You know, that's the other thing that's really important in your postpartum support. Think very hard who you're going to get there because if they make you feel judged and belittled and, you know, criticized all the time, they're not the person. You know, to give an example, I've often sat with clients who are having um, their second child and they want to plan for who's going to look after the toddler or their older children when they go into labor. And when I have those conversations, I often say, have you thought about how you'll feel about that person in your house whilst you're in early labor? And they often haven't. Yeah. So like sometimes people have visitors from abroad coming at 38 weeks. And I thought, I said, have you thought how you'll feel when you're there, there in, in, in your labor space? Will that be okay with you? Cause some people just can't. 
Uh, but the same thing goes with, you know, I had a client who, when I asked her that question, so who's going to look after your older child? And she thought about a particular family member. And so when we had discussion around that, because I knew the particular family member wasn't the most supportive person, she did a trial run and then decided against it. So she did a trial on a family, mm. family member visit of several months before the, several weeks before the birth and then thought, no, not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some people just aren't, aren't the right people to have around in certain situations. Definitely not. You yeah. know, you need, um, you, you need uh, around you. I know it's not always going to be that simple, but you, you need ideally around you. Not always that simple because sometimes it's the only person you might be able to have, but if you have people who yes. you feel inadequate uh, or, or worse, you know, the, when I was talking about the visitors from hell, I mean, I have had clients and friends who have family who comes and expect them to like look after them. Like they come to their house from abroad for a week or two after the bus and they, don't, they won't cook, they won't clean, they won't do anything. So actually rather than having a helper, yeah. you have a hindrance, you know, the, and being yeah, very clear extra work. Them. Yeah. That's just crazy, absolutely crazy. And yet culture that still have the traditional postpartum, um, you know, women would give birth. Only last week I was sitting in, in the local park with a mother who's actually Polish, but her husband's from Egypt and she, and she said she gave birth in Egypt. She said, it was amazing. You know, then women wouldn't let me do a thing. And that's how it should be. You know, that yep. the people should understand. And I, in the book, I tell absolutely sad stories of women saying that they try to rest and then somebody, sometimes like somebody from their family or sometimes even a health professional said, why is she in bed? She's not sick. And <laughs> making people, people feel guilty about resting, you know. If men, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. say something here. <laughs> you know, if men gave birth, there would be some kind of, body work on the NHS to make sure that their organs have gone back where they belong and there would be some kind of, you know, fantastic postpartum yep. recovery That's program right. and everybody would, you know. Yep. And, Thanks, patriarchy. Yep. I mean, you know, when you look at cesarean birth, especially when you think if you told a man, oh yeah, you're going to have major abdominal surgery and you'll have to look 24-7 after this tiny little being that will wake you up every couple of hours, they would say, ah, no, I can't do that. I'll be recovering from major abdominal surgery. It's just crazy. Yep. Okay, so I was kindly sent a preview copy of the book, mm -hmm. um, but it's officially out on the 30th of July. Yeah. Um, and where can people buy it? So people can buy it, um, they will be available from the Pinto and Martin website. In fact, you can pre-order it from it. It will be available from Amazon. You can pre-order it from it. If you're not in the UK, the book depository will provide with free international delivery. Um, if you want a signed copy, then you can buy it from my website, sophiemessagy.com. Wonderful. Thank you very much for speaking to me today, Sophie. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to do this. It's a, I really hope to change the world, you know, to change the, how we support new mothers. I really hope if, if this mess is, the book passes on this message, even to like a handful of families for me, that will be a good job. I had someone message me on Facebook a couple of days ago saying, after reading your book, I will, um, I'm going to change how I'm going to support a friend who's having a baby in a few weeks and I'm starting to cook her meals. And I thought that's wonderful. 
That's amazing. Little differences can make a big impact. It does. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you to Sophie Messager for joining me today um, on the podcast. And thank you for listening. See you next time.